everybody. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I help new and experienced investors who want to become more financially secure but generally feel confused and intimidated by the whole investing gig. Um, a lot of times, People don't know where to start with investing or if they've been investing for a while, they just don't seem to be making enough progress with their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people. I engage with them on how to make more educated investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives without, you know, and achieve that financial freedom with confidence. So that's kind of what I do. And so this is Stock Talk. This is my little podcast here in the little corner of the universe where I like to talk about all things investing, offer some of my takes on what's going on in the market, share with you some of my own personal investment decisions that I'm making, and more specifically the thought process that I'm putting into how I come up with making these investment decisions to buy or sell stocks or ETFs. And hopefully that you can uh, take some of this stuff away, some of this, uh, some of my uh, observations away, and kind of bring it into your own uh, into your own uh, framework in terms of how you make investment decisions. So this is episode 78, and today I'm gonna to take a little bit of a different take. I'm gonna go a little bit more into the academic slash ivory tower slash researchy kind of side of the investing uh, domain. And I wanna talk about, uh, I came across this really interesting article um, talking about uh, this whole concept of uh, active management and why it's just not working. Um, the big, huge debate right now in the investing domain, investing world, is this whole concept between actively managed uh, investing and passively uh, passive investing. The whole concept of uh, passive investing, which has really spurred and you know created so much uh, interest in uh, in terms of uh, the whole exchange traded funds ETFs. Um, versus the whole managed aspect, which is the traditional way we've always looked at investing, which is buying individual stocks, buying portfolio, or outsourcing our investment decision to third-party people who will make those investment decisions on our behalf. And so the great debate right now is, because we're seeing such an influx of money coming out of actively managed uh, portfolios, uh, mutual funds and individual stock uh, investment portfolios, into passively managed portfolios, which are the ETFs, which instead of investing in specific stocks, invest in a broad basket or try to mirror or replicate broad uh, stock market indexes. And so we've seen, you know, last three, four years, a huge tidal wave shift away from pa active to uh, passive. And so it's created a lot of discussion in terms of um, why is this? Why is this happening? Um, and more specifically, why is active management not you know, stepping up? Why is it not performing very well? And so the research out there has shown us that actively managed portfolios can barely, 80% of actively managed portfolios barely can earn the market rate of return. Uh, <clears throat> interesting because they're designed to try to outperform the market while 80% of them can't even uh, perform it. And reality is when you really do the math and bring down the probabilities and the statistics down, it's almost like one in 100 portfolios out there can, act, can consistently beat the market over a long period of time. So it's really the research has just really piled on the whole active management side of it. And it's created a lot of questions. And because it's interesting because this past weekend, 
um, the latest round of CFA exams were being written. So you had thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people out there writing these exams, trying to get their credentials to be a financial analyst. And with the hopes that, you know, having a CFA or some kind of credential like an MBA or a PhD or whatever, kind of makes you feel like, yeah, these, you know, these people know what they're talking about and they should probably make really good investment decisions. Well, the research is showing that they're not. So the question is, why are there, there's, and these are not like idiots, and that's the thing about it. These aren't morons and just who are complete incompetent boobs. These are really smart people, but it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't click. They just can't make enough solid investment decisions to generate meaningful returns or just earn a market rate of return. So that's a big question going on right now. Is, and it's also a lot of soul searching going on in the traditional investing community. Is like, what's going on? Why are we? Why are we? Why can't we step up our game? You know, why are there so mar- so many smart people that are really bad at their jobs? <laughs> That's the best way. And this is, this article actually it quote that. So you can quote from the article. Quote: Why are so many smart people bad at their jobs? Unquote. So this article is interesting because. Um, you know, the classic reasons why active management doesn't work or hasn't been working is revolved, is traditionally revolved around, and the research has revolved around a couple areas. One being fees. Actively managed portfolios uh, carry higher costs for, you know, to administer. You got to hire people to figure out what stocks to buy and sell, and you got to pay them. And if you know how Wall Street and Bay Street works, and, you know, compensation is a little bit more higher, higher level than maybe other, other occupations. Costs are higher, and so the premise being fees are higher, so therefore, you know, you strip those out of out of returns um, that these portfolios are generating, it's not that great, and it's actually underwhelming. And so that's one aspect of why active management, you know, the research has told us active management doesn't, you know, is not that great. Second element too is more of a behavioral side of it, in that. There's a lot of biases that people that um, analyze companies and people that manage money have to face on a daily basis. And you know, part of it is, is, the, is the culture. It's the Wall Street, Bay Street financial services culture of, you know, kind of, <clears throat> and the compensation side of it too, because you get bonuses based on how you perform. And it forces you to make decisions that you probably may not want to do. And it forces you to adopt sort of maybe a, a, a herd mentality or groupthink mentality. Um, in terms of how you frame your decisions, basically do what everybody else is doing. So if Amazon's going up, I'm going to go buy Amazon. It's politically more palatable to do that than to just go off and take a contrarian position um, in terms of how you buy and sell stocks. Geography has a factor into it. A lot of times we get kind of limited and make our decisions more restricted to the neighborhood we're living. So if we're focused, you know, we're living here in North America, we're trying to maybe want to gravitate more toward North American stocks at the expense of really great, amazing opportunities that are around the world. And so those are, those are the traditional ways we've, uh, traditional ways, uh, reasons where active management hasn't um, worked out so well. So this article that I came across, is, I came across, it was on the Bloomberg uh, website, and it's called The Math Behind the Futility, an overlooked statistical concept shows why it's so hard to beat a benchmark, and it's written by Oliver uh, Rennick. Uh, and this is on the April 9th, 2017 uh, data, so you can Google that and check it out. So what this article tries to do is it talks about, okay, provides basically another statistical reason on terms of why it's so hard to outperform and beat the market. And it revolves around this whole concept of skewness. And the premise of what this uh, 
there's a couple of papers, and it's interesting because this, this research was done almost 20 years ago. So this isn't like some new thing that just popped up and it's just some revelation. This, is, this, this, this analysis has been around for a long time. It's just nobody's bothered reading it. And, but now it's starting to become more front and center. So I thought I'd share it with you and you know, take what you want out of it. So their premise is an article, and this is basically um, a couple of gentlemen, uh, Nicholas Polson and John Hendrick Witt, uh, uh, Arizona, uh, from Arizona State University, did an analysis. And uh, basically what they're saying is when you get into situations, when you look at the stock market, when you look at a basket, like an index, a typical index, what drives the value of that index? What drives the value of, like, for example, the S&P 500 to go up or down? And a lot of times thinking when the market goes up, it's you know all 500 stocks or a good chunk of those 500 stocks in the S&P 500 are, are going up. So if those are all going up, then you know then the, the overall index is going up. But what's actually really interesting is that what really drives, when you look at an index, I'm just gonna use S&P 500 for as, as an example, it's really, you don't need to get like a critical mass of stocks to go up to drive an index up. You, you only really need a handful of stocks to really go up meaningfully or significantly for it to really uh, increase the value of the index. So the impact of that from, if you're a person out there trying to figure out what stocks to buy and sell, if it's only a handful of stocks that are really driving the value in it, and you don't pick those, you just, in your analysis, you don't pick those handful of stocks, chances are you're gonna underperform. And that's the general. And so the, the concept they're talking about here is skewness, is when the skewness of returns is centered around a handful or a small number of stocks, it becomes really, really hard to outperform the market or even get close to even earning the market rate of return. And uh, it's interesting because if you bring it back to where we are right now, we're sitting in Morello, the markets are setting records day after day after day. If you drill down into some of those numbers, you'll, it's interesting to see right now what's driving the market. The big reason that's driving the market right now, there's only a handful of stocks driving the market, and it's really those FANG stocks. It's your Facebook, your uh, your Amazon, your Netflix, and your Google, and maybe a little bit of Apple into it. The tech stock side is really floating the market right now. And it's interesting that if you happen to be in those stocks, you're gonna be doing really well. And if you happen to not be in any of those stocks, then chances are your portfolio is not going to be performing as um, you might be still be making money, but you might be making you may not be maxing out your returns as as much as possible. So it's this whole concept of skewness um, that these gentlemen uh, in their in their paper have cited as a real driving factor to figuring out potential performance, and that really what makes it really hard because the reality is it's really hard. You know, it's hard to figure out what stocks are gonna perform in the future. You're predicting the future, right? So investing is very much, and what I teach people, investing is very much an educated guess. You, you, you can't make an investment decision and know for 100% certainty that that stock is gonna go up. Because you can't, because there's all kinds of things happen. Life gets in the way kind of thing. So, um, so when you think about it, when I looked at this research and I go, wow, if that's the case, then this is really a great argument to be pat to be a passive investor because if you can't figure out which of the handful of stocks are going to go up or really going to go up every year, then what's the point? You might as well just buy the whole index. At least then you know you're going to get exposure to those handful of stocks and you will outperform the people who are trying to figure out what individual stocks are going to do it. 
And so that's kind of the genesis of that. And it's a very, you think about it, it's going, hmm, that's a really profound um, argument to make. And they back it up with a little bit of data. And they also back it up with a really interesting analogy, which I want to share with you, is um, <clears throat> they take this analysis, of basically, it's basically the poker chips fitting. Um, they take this example saying, if you had five poker chips and four of those poker chips were worth $10, $10 each, so four four chips, $10 each, and you had another chip, a fifth chip, that was worth $100. So if you were to look at those five chips and buy all those five chips, the average price of those chips would be $28. So you'd start off with that baseline. And that's kind of like a passive baseline. So if I want to get all that value, I just buy all those chips and get that, get that value out of it. So the average value of those chips would be $28. So what these, what these gentlemen did is they ran an experiment saying, you know what, take all those five chips, put it in a bag, and take out two chips at a time over and over and over. And what happens, see what happens. And sort of taking those two chips up over and over is kind of like a proxy or an equivalent to what a money manager would do or what you and I would do if we were trying to buy individual stocks. We'd selectively try to pick out um, some stocks. And what the intention is, we're hoping that we're going to pick out that $100 chip. So what they did is they ran this experiment and ran it over and over and over and over again. And what they discovered was that a majority of people, a majority of iterations failed to get that $100 chip. And they found that 60% of the, the, the selections were picking two $10 chips, so $20. So it's interesting because if you did that, let's say you picked out those two chips, you would get $20 return. But if you kept all five chips earlier, what I said that the average value of all five chips was $28 a chip. But if you just picked out $2, picked two chips and got $20, you're not, you're getting less return than you would if you just held on all, onto all those chips. Because the whole premise is being is you're trying to hopefully get that $100 chip. If you got the $100 chip, then yeah, you're golden, right? You're ahead of it. But it showed how hard it was. And this again, is the whole, this is randomness here. How hard it was to pick that $100 chip. Um, given that your odds you know, are one in five to pick up that $100 chip. Which again, comes back down to investing. It's hard to find consistently what are going to be the, the top performing stocks year after year after year. You're not, it's, it's really hard to do. And... So it's interesting um, with this experiment that you're, we are just generally skewed toward, we generally will gravitate through, through randomness or through hard work or through solid analysis to generate mediocre returns. And so the promise that it can, and this is what the passive investor people are going to say, hey, say, you know what, I, I have no ability to pick that $100 chip, so I'm just going to buy all those chips and take the average return out of that because that's going to be a heck of a lot better than me trying to pick out these chips or me trying to figure out which is going to be the next Amazon or the next Apple or the next Google. So that's kind of really what this whole net element of, of skewness comes down to is this uh, having a handful of stocks and really driving the market. And, and the difficulty it is in trying to figure out consistently what those um, uh, excessive or super performing um, stocks are going to be. So 
So the one thing is what the what the paper is saying is when you're looking at the market, and if you're looking at technical indicators about what the market's doing, one of the things you want to look at is see, okay, what is the skewness of the market? Is the returns generated in the market really being concentrated in a handful of stocks? Then you may want to take a hands-off approach to you may want to take a passive approach to you know investing and making your investment decisions. But if it's a much more broader distribution of returns, if there's a lot of breadth in the market, then maybe you there's opportunities for you as an investor to exploit that and maybe then start making more selective uh, decisions. That's kind of what I get out of this paper. What it's kind of the gist of it, and it's very profound. It's honestly worth you know meditating over at least a little bit. So, in terms of my take on it, what is that? You know, first of all, the the premise is, is very interesting, and it's you know they back it up with a lot of research. So there's there's a little bit of I think there is some there's some truth into this, um, but I guess the premise when I'm going is when you're trying to figure out what the next performing stocks are or the great performing stocks are going to be, which is really hard to do. I think what it, the two the two camps that kind of think will benefit will kind of pound the table on this kind of re- re- research would be would be. The passive investors, but I also think the growth momentum people who like to look for those hyper growth momentum, you know, everybody's uh, you know flavor of the month kind of company, and, and just go all in on those kind of things and milk them for all they're worth. This is the type of paper I think that would give them a little bit more, uh, you know, credibility from that side of it. But for me, I'm I like to look at things from more of a behavioral side of it and saying um, that's fine, okay, the handful of stocks, but I don't know if I can pick. I don't know if I can pick tomorrow's top performing stocks year after year after year. But I think I could pick good quality, well-run businesses that are out of favor by the market. And I think those stocks may not be tomorrow's leaders, but I think tomorrow they could generate a pretty decent return and give me a, a, a probability or possibility of doing better than what the market is and maybe generating a higher level of return or letting me generate a higher level of realized return. Um, out of it. So I'm wondering in terms of the ideology, in terms of how they're determining what tomorrow's winners are, if if instead they adopt the approach of taking a more of that value approach, trying to find tomorrow's uh, winners that are cheap, well-run, high-quality, high man- well-managed companies that are, that are out of favor from a psychological perspective of the market, people hate the company or hate the stock, taking that approach would that kind of level the playing field in, in terms of this whole skewness kind of argument? And the other question I had also was that, okay, this seems to be in, uh, talk, looked at from, from the premise of trying to outperform in terms of a, a rising stock market. But I wonder if there's any predictive capabilities of looking at this from uh, a negative perspective and saying, you know what, if, if, there's a, if, a con- if there's a huge concentration of returns are being generated, in a small amount of companies, doesn't that sort of may, might that want me be a kind of a red flag that tells might tell me that the overall market might be overpriced because there might be those underlying other companies, the quote unquote rest of those companies, those companies might be overpriced um, because of this whole momentum kind of thing, this momentum chasing mentality that might be in play in terms of the psychology of the market. Um, might that? Be kind of a red flag, and might that might that be might this skewness concept be used as a as a contrarian indicator, saying if there's a heavy amount of skew, maybe I don't want to be in stocks, maybe I just want to be out of stocks right now. Um, so that's another aspect, and obvi- you know, there's obviously I have no I have no research to back it up. I'm just I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, could it go? Could it be? Could this kind of um, approach be useful uh, on the downside of it too? So. 
really interesting. As I said, I, I try not to get too much into the, the academic side of, uh, uh, inv of the investing side of it. I try to like, get into it. I, I always get, you know, poke my, uh, dip my toe into it, see what's going on, see if there's anything really interesting going on. And uh, yeah, this one, this really caught my eye. I thought it was a bit of an eye opener there. Um, from that side of it. So that's pretty much all I got. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. You guys, do you think this is, this, there's any nuggets of, of wisdom that can come out of this? Do, you know, what's your take on it? Feel free to give me a shout um, through my, you know, feel free to email me or direct message me through uh, Twitter and I'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, get into a discussion on this stuff, uh, on this kind of thing. It's a really interesting topic right now because the active managers are really pounding the table saying, Passive investing is just passe and it's going to die. And then the active, you know, the passive investors are all about active management can't even uh, earn a return. You know, they're 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 a dying breed, and we're going to be all passive managing. Um, you know, in the future there won't be stocks anymore. We'll just be investing in baskets of stocks. So it's an interesting debate, and every day there seems to be another argument on either side, uh, weighing in, coming in favor or against the other side, or slamming the other side. Personally, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think there's room for passive investing, and I think there's room for active uh, active investing if you do your proper due diligence. If you if you're also aware also of the psychology of the market, because that really to me is the secret sauce, and I teach this with the people that I work with, understanding the behavioral uh, side of investing, the biases that we all are all in conflict with, and managing those conflicts accordingly um, better uh, goes a long way to to to, to becoming a much more successful investor. So love to hear what you have to say about that. Um, got some announcements. Uh, I was actually, you know, I'm a little bit, kind of a little bit bummed out because I was all good to go last week to do my uh, webinar on ETFs, but uh, I had a family little, family little situation occur that just popped out the, the morning of and uh, I couldn't really, uh, couldn't really deal with it. Uh, I had to deal with it. <laughs> And uh, it forced me to unfortunately postpone the, uh, the, the webinar. So I'm going to be rescheduling that for another date. So look out um, on the website um, for announcements on that. Um, and I'm also going to be planning to do another webinar, hopefully in June also. So stay tuned for that. Um, have any questions, anything you want to talk about, uh, about from an investing perspective, give me a shout. You can hit me through my website, www.sageinvestors.ca. Um, or you can hit me through Twitter. I'm always on Twitter uh, tweeting about uh, my observations in real time about what's going on in the market. My uh, handle is at Sage Investors. So follow me and uh, I'd be happy to message you, DM you on anything. So feel free to ask questions. If you have any questions about my uh, coaching services and my online courses, that I, online investing courses that I deliver, feel free again, give me a shout. More than happy to, to answer uh, any questions. And also finally, uh, if you're interested in keeping track of various little market goings on, I publish a newsletter, an email newsletter. I send that out every Wednesday morning. I call it In The Loop. If you're interested in uh, just having some, uh, getting some real-time updates from me in terms of uh, stuff that I'm posting on my website, podcasts, blogs, blog posts, videos, um, just jump on there and uh, sign up and uh, and on top of that I, I, I send out a couple of uh, things that I'm reading that I share with everybody else that I'm use reading and helping to frame my own investment decisions. Um, if you're interested in uh, jumping on that little uh, email bandwagon you can uh, give me a shout through there and register again through my website sageinvestors.ca. So 
that's all I got for you this week. Um, this has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amin Reina of Sage Investors. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for listening in. And uh, there's no video this week. I just forgot to mention there's no video this week. It's just strictly audio. Um, just logistics right now just don't work for video. Um, so hopefully we'll jump back on. You'll get to see my lovely little face next next week. So that's all I got for you. Take care. Have a good week of investing. And we'll catch you again soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.